Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everyone. Today's Real Vision Daily Briefing is sponsored by Engrave, maker of the coldest hardware wallet, Zero, and stainless steel backup graphene. Engrave brings you the highest security in a touchscreen experience to safely manage all your crypto offline. Enjoy a 10% Real Vision discount in Engrave.io shop with the code RealVision. Now to the top analysis of today's markets. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. We are looking at whether the bond market is out of step with the Fed today. Welcome to uh, the show today with us is Jeff Snyder, host of Eurodollar University. Hi, Jeff. It's great to see you. Hi, Maggie. Good to see you, too. So we're in the thick of earnings season. U.S. stocks did rebound uh, from that post-Fed sell-off we've seen. Uh, and we've got them up, you know, pretty decent gains, over 1% for the most part, Dow's or just under that. But we have a couple of tech earnings out after the close, which we know can change sentiment very quickly. Um, and we saw a lot of action in bonds, a 10-year dip to 3.87%, a one-month low, despite the fact that Jay Powell seemed to take a, rate, a March rate cut off the table. So let's start with the bond side of things. What do you make of this action we're seeing? Well, I mean, it's it's pretty interesting in the fact that, uh, first of all, we're not that far away from the last bond rally, which just ended in uh, late December. And usually what happens after a sharp rally, rates are going to go higher for several months. And we would expect that they would continue to do so. But over the last week, there's been a demand for bonds, not just in the United States, but around the rest of the world. We've seen rates dip. Uh, even today, the 10-year got down, I think it was almost to 380 which would have been really close to the December low, which already makes you wonder, okay, what's what's really happening here? Especially since, yeah, as you mentioned, Maggie, yesterday, Jay Powell, the Federal Reserve, tried to pour cold water all over the idea of rate cuts, and the market's just not buying it here. And so, again, that, that raises a number of questions. Okay, what is it the market's seeing that maybe Jay Powell is trying to cover up, or um, what is the market, the bond market actually doing that maybe we're not seeing elsewhere in other markets like stocks. And of course, we had a pretty big reminder yesterday that maybe the banking system isn't actually as resilient and strong. And you have to laugh here because the FOMC took that sentence out of their statement at the worst possible time. Yeah. Not that they actually meant to, but it's funny how they take that out this, that statement out. And then the small community bank, or it's not really that small, but this community bank that basically nobody had ever heard of before shows up and says, you know what? We had a couple bad loans and our loan loss provisions and commercial real estate increased ninefold. And all of a sudden it kicks off this major, major uh, buzz all across Wall Street. And I think that's, that's something that's on the minds of not just the bond market, but anybody who's been watching anything over the last couple of years. We know we have a major problem in commercial real estate. Mm -hmm. We're wondering when is that going to either go away? Is it going to be resolved positively? Or are we going to have to deal with maybe more banks having issues, liquidity, credit crunch, all of the negative, nasty side effects of that type of a, of a situation? 
And so that's what the bond market is sort of hinting at here by breaking with the long run type and rallying what not that long after the last rally ended. And that's that's what really has our attention right at yeah. the moment. So that so it's so interesting. And you're right, I think that Wall Street aware of it. It's interesting if you kind of click across the web, though, you would think that it would be getting bigger headlines. I mean, they're there, but you know, we've got so much else going on. The Fed, we have earnings coming out, especially those big, you know, mag seven. So that's sort of, I think, getting a lot of attention. And some of it, because maybe because it's not a household name. So for those who aren't keeping keeping up or let's just sort of fill in the blanks in case somebody's been away from their screen and listening to this somewhere. So we had uh, New York Community Bank Corp come out and basically what cut its dividend. I mean, the, the stock tanked because it can't deal with the, it's, it's experiencing the losses from commercial real estate. We've been in this extend and pretend period kind of limping along, knowing these things were on balance sheets, but it wasn't having a material impact. You know, they had we had the Fed facility. Everything seemed like it was okay. And everyone was kind of moving along together, hoping to resolve it. But but are we hitting, is, is a kind of rubber hitting the road here? Have we reached the end of extend and pretend? Is that what's going on? That's sort of the implication and sort of the the important part from yesterday and today wasn't necessarily the announcement by New York Community Bank Corp. Because what they basically said was, we had two loans that we had to reclassify. And, you know, New York Community Bank Corp itself is going up in tears. It's becoming, it's, you know, its assets are over $100 billion now. So it has to, it's playing this like we have to clean up our balance sheet and clean up our act because we're hitting the big time. And that's kind of mm -hmm. how they're they're trying to to uh, play this entire, their their earnings announcement. But most people looked at that and said, wait a minute, hold up here. This is supposed to be a major increase in charges from two loans. And of course, there's two different ways you can take that. You can say, okay, it was just two loans. It's just one community bank that's no big deal. Or you could say, holy, wait, wait, wait a minute here. They had two bad loans that spiked their, their charge offs by eight times. What about if there's three loans or four loans or five loans or six loans? And I think that was the more important part of this is the reaction across the entire marketplace because you're right, Maggie. We've been sitting here for however long, and it's understandable why people have for completely forgotten about the banking system because it's been that long. It's been almost an entire year since Silicon mm -hmm. Valley Bank failed. And so for most people that don't pay close attention to this, they're thinking, this is all just nothing. This is all just trivia. Who cares? The US economy, haven't you seen the numbers lately? We had a banking crisis last year and it didn't seem to make a dent in anything. So why do we care about one specific commercial bank? And the answer is, as you were alluding to, the reaction to the, the commercial real estate problem over the last year is diametrically the opposite of what it was in 2006, 7, and 8. Back then, you had a problem on your balance sheet. You just sold it. Get it off my balance. I don't care what it is. Get rid of it. And so we had this period where banks and financial firms and, and others were just selling assets willy-nilly because that's what you did. You got mm -hmm. rid of the bad stuff. And having learned a small lesson from that period, the financial system this time is saying, wait a minute. We got all this, all these bad assets on our balance sheet, but we're not going to sell anything. We're just going to just sit here silent, quiet, and do nothing and just hope that it all goes away. The last thing we want to do is start to trigger the liquidations and fire sales. So we're just going to pretend that there's absolutely nothing wrong. And I think most of us have been sitting here waiting. We know there's something big wrong. We're just waiting for that one thing that forces someone's hand to reveal their hand. 
Mm. And so that's the, the potential. I mean, it's just a short run right now, but the, the prospect here is that Silicon Valley Bank is just the first one that finally has to tip its hand a little bit and say, these are the bad cards. You mean that Bank Corp. You mean you mean New York Bank Corp, right? New York Bank Corp. Yeah, yes. not not Silicon Valley. So yeah, so, you have yeah, that was already you, gone. Yeah, well, yeah. That, well, that was what started. But but you but I think there are two really important things here. And Gabrielle, you you have I don't know which one if you want a specific one, but you sent over a couple assets and liabilities. Um, and I want you to tell us what that is. If I don't know which one, if it matters which one we put up, Jeff, we have. Um, yeah, the H eight statistics from the commercial banking system as a whole for this is across the entire U.S. commercial banking system. These are statistics that the Federal Reserve puts together. What we've been watching since August is that banks have been piling on cash, and of course, mainstream analysts are saying this has to do with QT and the level of bank reserves, and that's just crap. That's hogwash. Banks have been piling on cash. In fact. Uh, New York Community Bank Corp even admitted that they've been doing the same thing, piling up cash in anticipation of something like this happening. So this shows that they're not alone, and the amount is just astounding. Since the latter weeks of August, it's about $430 billion increase in cash holdings by the aggregate banking system. And you have to ask, like bond yields going lower, why? how is that possible? What is, the, what is it the banking system is doing and preparing for? Because as you can see in the chart that Gab is showing here, Banks are certainly not expanding their balance sheets. In fact, they're doing the opposite. So, so are they hoarding cash? Year, Does that mean they're not lending it if they're hoarding cash? They're not lending cash. They're not, they're not buying securities. They're not doing anything. You nailed that. You nailed it right on the head that Maggie, we said extend and pretend. And extend and pretend means just kind of sit there and play possum. Just let's, let's play dead and hope everything just magically fixes itself. Let's hope Jay Powell is right. We have a soft landing in 2024 that will allow us some more ideal conditions, maybe a couple yeah. rate cuts, less, more disinflation. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we can start unwinding all of these major imbalances on our balance sheet and do so under ideal circumstances. And, and everyone's kind of been in cahoots on that, right? It's kind of been the accepted thing that we're all going to do it. And and as you say, a, a, a reaction from the chaos and insanity and you know, that that happened during the great financial crisis when the system almost broke. So now it's kind of like, let's have this be orderly and everyone hold tight until the conditions get better and it should be okay. The problem, and this is the point I wanted to bring up, and I, and I love these graphics and we'll we'll see if we can share these with you all, um, but I'm sure Jeff has it on Eurodollar University as well. Uh, the, the, the issue is, and this is, I think, what was scary with Silicon Valley Bank is that that's all fine until someone blinks. And then there's that worry. And I, when I was looking a little more closely at banking, because I too, like everyone else, has been distracted by the Fed and tech earnings. When I started looking at that, I didn't realize that we had a Tokyo-based lender also tank. We had Germany, right? Deutsche Bank, I think, AG, come forward and say, so. now you start to see that Everyone knows that there's been a problem, but what starts, is there a concern that we start to see this sort of building momentum and, and we lose that sort of tacit agreement to extend and pretend? Is that, a, is that a risk here? I want to, you know, how tacit was that agreement? I think it was explicit, really. But yeah, you're absolutely so you're right. right. It was, it or, was, or I mean, it was an had, order from the Fed. I don't know. Yeah, well, the other. Fed, the Treasury, I mean, Janet Yellen <laughs> came out and said, we're having talks all the time. Regulators had regular meetings, very public meetings that were meant to assure the public saying, we've told all of the banks to work with your commercial real estate customers and make sure you can work everything out. I mean, it's, it's everybody has done everything possible to, number one, 
not do anything. Let's just sit here and hope everything goes away. And number two, don't you dare sell anything because we do not want price discovery. We all know valuations are in the toilet, but we don't see market values because nobody's selling anything or practically mm -hmm. anything. The markets are basically frozen. So don't sell, don't do anything, don't do any charge-offs, don't shed any light on the situation because if you do, it might lead one person and then the next person. The next thing you know, other people are being forced into something that we all are trying to avoid, which is a repeat of the, un, as you said, the, un, the disorderly unwind in the last time around. And that's, that's what everybody's trying to avoid, but that doesn't solve the problem. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. But so what what's happening from an economic conditions point of view? Because we do know the Fed has made a pivot. We know rate cuts are coming. Is there relief in sight? Can the economic conditions get here quick enough that we can prevent some sort of larger strain in the banking system because of commercial real estate? Well, I think, you know, go back to the original charts with the uh, the interest rates. I think one thing that we need to be clear on is what the markets are actually saying, being this inverted. And I know it's it's very easy and it's very popular to say, well, the market's pricing five rate cuts in 2024, or maybe it's six now, or maybe whatever. That's not actually what the market is saying. The market is in one or two positions, two camps, and they're polar opposites. The one camp is everything is fine, Goldilocks soft landing, the GDP numbers are valid and everything's going to be great. And therefore, interest rates are actually going to go higher from here because higher rates are actually a good thing. So that's one side of the coin. And the other side of the coin are people are saying, a year from now, we're going to be talking about zero interest rates and more QE. It's a basically an all or nothing proposition. Either we hit the soft landing and everything's great, or we, hunt, we, we run into some really serious problems. And the problem we have is that the market is increasingly moving into that other camp, the mm. hedging camp, the holy crap, things could go wrong camp. And the more the market moves in that direction, which it has been doing over the last week, the more you have to say, okay, what is it that's causing all of this anxiety and uncertainty? And the banking, you know, again, it's not about New York Community Bank Corp. It's about exactly what we're talking about. And then in terms of economic circumstances, Sure, the U.S. economy looks great, but have you seen the rest of the world? <laughs> yeah, the so rest of the world is a complete let's, mess. Let's break that down. So especially when we're talking about real estate, let's go to China, because we know we've got a commercial real estate problem. We certainly know that China yes. has a massive real estate bubble that's been bursting, but but it's hard to know what's really going on from your sense. Where Where is the Chinese economy? Well, the Chinese economy is in a really rough shape here. And you're right, the real estate problem is behind everything. We don't really have enough insight into how that's going. We haven't seen anything catastrophic. I mean, repo rates have been relatively tame over there in China. And I mean, renminbi repo rates. So some of the financial statistics, they look relatively okay, but we know things are not going well. I mean, Evergrande was just forced into liquidation. 
which that ought to be fun because it's, they're going to force all of these losses onto offshore creditors. And we'll see how that impacts the overall Eurobond market. But that's still a future risk. The present tense risk where it comes to China, as you're showing on the screen here, the Chinese economy, despite the fact that Beijing has stepped up its support really since last summer, is not reacting to that support in any way, shape, or form. At most, you can say it has stopped falling in the way it was in the, in the latter part of summer, but that's not the same as what was supposed to happen here, which is a relatively um, unambiguous rebound. Instead, the Chinese economy is languishing. We see all sorts of statistics that are among their worst in the entire series. If you go down a couple of charts to the, real, to the retail sales, which is, a, which is a really big one in China, despite the Chinese efforts to really target consumer spending, uh, and despite base effects and some of the annual comparisons, you make the two-year annual comp the two-year comparison, you can really see it much better, like you see, you see on this chart here. Chinese consumer spending is at rates that we have rarely seen in China, and that's despite all of the effort from the again from fiscal stimulus as well as targeted aid in the real estate sector. It's just not producing the positive impact that uh, certainly authorities would hope for, and you have to again it, it raises all sorts of potential downside risk because you have to ask yourself, what is wrong with the Chinese economy that it's not responding to any type of, uh, of government effort? And it's just, it goes on and on. All the statistics, macroeconomic statistics from China, which, which are telling us about the immediate risk in terms of the economy. And then what does that mean about what might be happening inside the, the shadow parts of the system that we can't see as far as real estate, banking, and everything else? Yeah. So I... Uh implications for exporting deflation or are we worried about something more serious in terms of instability what what are the implications for the global economy if we the direct China, implications, it can't get can't get itself going yeah sorry maggie the direct implications are essentially you know merchandise trade because you know we've already china's already suffered in terms of imports from the rest of the world so the rest of the world has suffered from lack of chinese demand that's the easy one the more complicated uh, puzzle that we have to put together is where are the uh, the exposures? Because as you know, Evergrande had how many tens of billions in offshore debt, mm. and it's not just Evergrande. We have other other Chinese developers and other Chinese financial firms that have issued offshore debt. So there are there's a quite a lot of Chinese exposure around the rest of the world. I think a lot of it's concentrated in Japan. So there are more more direct but more indirect sort of uh, potential problems where we'll see how the Evergrande liquidation goes, but also exposure to the real estate sector in general. Does that cause these other firms that are exposed around the rest of the world, Japanese firms, does it alter their behavior such that it creates second and third order effects in other places around the world? Even if you're not taking, if you're not suffering direct credit losses, you're sitting there with questionable assets on your balance sheet, you're probably not gonna be expanding your balance sheet and doing other things while you wonder what the downside case might be and all of the stuff that's going on in China. So there, there's a lot of indirect consequences too. And on top of all of that, as you mentioned, what was the Japanese bank today? The Japanese banks are, we've got the Chinese real estate problem on this side. We've got US commercial real estate problem on this side. So even if everything goes relatively well from here, at the very least, these Japanese firms and firms around the world, banks and, not, and other financial firms, they're, they're 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 becoming more and more defensive, and that's not going to help. Where you know the Chinese economy or the European economy or the U.S. economy, which is in really precarious shape here. Mm. 
Yeah. And somebody just asked uh, if you had any reaction to the ISM. So it's interesting because um, I just had a long conversation with David Rosenberg and you can look at certain pieces of data and feel good about the U.S. economy, or you can look at others and see trouble. And it's causing, you know, a lot of what on the surface looks like contradictory signals. So ISM today, uh, Doug asking, what's your take on today's ISM? I think it came in around 49. So it's still contracting, but it's up, right? So then people think, oh, you know, that kind of feeds into the soft landing. So any thought on ISM and, and generally what's happening with the U.S. economy here? Yeah, the ISM was 49. The new orders index, which is an important one, that was, uh, I think, the highest in over a year. So you look at that number, you look at GDP, likely the payroll numbers, and you think the U.S. economy is weathering all of these major headwinds. And so it, the soft landing doesn't look like probable. It looks like it's absolutely going to happen. And vast majority of the public, that's what they look at. They don't look at some of the details. Mm -hmm. So you look at GDP, you look at the stock market, you look at uh, the unemployment rate, and you think everything's all, and then ISM comes out better than expected. And you think there absolutely is, at worst, a soft landing here, if not a no landing scenario, low landing situation. In fact, what did Jay Powell say yesterday at his press conference? He said, we've, we've done it. We've got disinflation without creating any unemployment. We're geniuses here. And I think most people would say, kind of seems like he's right. Consumer price pressures are still there, but they've, they're, they're, not, they're nowhere near as big and as heavy and as painful as they had been previously. And it doesn't appear as if the economy has suffered any significant damage for having gone through all of that. And it's tough to argue against that position because so many of the statistics are looking that way. But as David said, and as you're alluding to, Maggie, if you look in certain other places, you can see the cracks forming. You look at, for example, nominal GDP, which you look uh, quarter over quarter, that's been slowing down. And the nominal economy is going to be a big problem and big theme in 2024 because the nominal growth had covered up a lack of real growth and volume growth during the supply shock situation. And one of the other problems we're going to have is incomes. If you look at the JOLTS chart, which is, I think, uh, down below GDP, um, yeah, that one. That one's a, a, when you look at that, I mean, just on its face, you say, holy crap, what's going on here? What it shows mm. is that even though American businesses haven't been firing workers like we see usually in any recession, which is what most people associate with recession, they sure aren't hiring anybody either. So that's a concerning thing because it means there's a lack of opportunity, lack, lack of income opportunities in the real economy for workers, therefore consumers. And then you have to wonder, what is it that businesses are seeing that they're they're slamming the door shut on hiring anybody. Yeah, they're not firing anybody. They're not firing lots of people, though we have seen more layoff announcements recently, in yeah. especially in the month of January. Especially recently. Yeah, we've seen those picking up big time. Yeah. So, I mean, but before, I mean, you get before that, you, businesses have been adjusting their cost structure by not hiring people, which is a which is in and of itself a recession signal, even if we haven't got we even got the other part of that in terms of mass layoffs. So depending upon where you look, yeah, GDP was great. Payroll reports have looked relatively solid. But some of the other stats, which suggest that there's more going on than just what most people consume of in the public. If you look a little bit closer, it's not terrible. It's not awful. But it's, it's like the banking system sort of moving in the wrong direction very slowly and incrementally. Mm. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. 
Yeah. And I, and I just want to point out so many people who have come on and it was not popular or, or, you know, mainstream, but many people have been just saying they're still worried about banking. They just kept watching it much like you do, um, including Sri, for those of you who are watching earlier this week, just said, listen, you know, it's not the... The banking system is not okay, despite what everyone is saying. So I want to get a couple questions, and I want to get your thoughts about Europe as well, but I want to get a couple questions in here because they're all so good. Uh, so um, the macro butler asking, are there risks of tailed auctions in the coming weeks? How do we need to think about treasury supply coming? I, treasury supply doesn't matter. <laughs> I know that's an exceptionally unpopular position, but if the last year didn't prove that beyond a shadow of a doubt, I don't know what will. The government sold an insane amount of debt last year, including new money that, that totaled about $3.4 trillion. And you look at where prices are compared to when they started. In fact, yields are actually lower now than they were at the end of 2022 when this deluge really got going. So I'm not worried about auction supply. Usually that comes up when people are trying to explain why interest rates are rising at any given moment in time. So they think, well, and it's understandable people think this way, right, Maggie? Because the government has gone nuts here. It has absolutely no constraint. And if you give a politician free reign, guess what they're going to do? They're going to go nuts. And this is not a Democrat or Republican problem. It's a Democrat and Republican problem. Yeah, everyone. Yeah. It's everyone. For, just, for the last several administrations. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's ongoing, but you can see where they're coming from because from their perspective, the bond market is willing to buy whatever they sell. It doesn't matter how many trillions you tack onto the end of it, there's demand for it. And that's really the point here. Why is there so much demand? Why is the price of U.S. Treasuries higher now than it was before this latest deluge began? And the only answer is because of the fundamental signals in the market, which are safety, liquidity demand, which is everything that we're talking about as themes of 2024. So the fact that there's, a, there's this ability to absorb even massive deficits means there's a lot of people thinking, I'm going to want to own safe and liquid for the rest of this year and into the next couple of years. Mm. So uh, AJ has an interesting question. Should we still be waiting for regional bank weakness as an indicator for rate cuts and the next bull cycle? I like how we go right through to the next bull cycle. Um, are we going to see the regional bank situation force the Fed's hand? And, it, and does that mean, if that's the case, that it, it is good for stocks? I'm assuming, I don't know if you mean, mean next bull cycle for bonds or both, um, AJ, but... How do you see that, Jeff? Well, bull market for bonds, I think we've already seen it. It's been for the last couple of months. It's just a question of, does the regular pattern play out? And right now it isn't. There's, mm -hmm. a, again, as I mentioned at the beginning, we're seeing an unusual, uh, going back to the rally, which is unusual this short period of time. So as far as the bond market is concerned, I think we're in a bull market anyway, regardless of regional banks or anything else. I mean, there's, there's so many other problems around the world that would do that. The question about the stock market, I don't think it's bullish for stocks because mm. eventually there comes a time when even the stock market says, hold on, wait a minute here. The Fed is cutting rates. Interest rates in the marketplace have already gone down. These are not usually scenarios that are, are, are good for holding equities because that's usually recession type of situation. And I know the Fed's going to play this up the entire way, say, oh, no, no, no. We're just cutting rates because we want to be ultra careful. We've conquered inflation. We want to guarantee that the soft landing takes place. So we're just going to do a couple of rate cuts to, as sort of insurance in case of the downside. But that's not what the market's pricing. 
And so if the market, the bond market is pricing is turns out to be correct, then the Fed will follow the bond market and the stock market, that's not going to be a good time for stocks. The, the other part of the question is, is the regional banking issue going to be enough to kickstart that process? Whether that's, I don't know if that's part of what's going on in the rally to begin with. You never really know what's happening in the marketplace, but I don't think it's necessary. But boy, the reaction, I mean, just look at the regional bank stock index for the last couple of days. What's it down like 12% in two days? It seems like there are quite a lot of people out there, even in the stock market, who are worried about that very thing. There's not a whole lot of faith in banks here. It doesn't, yeah. doesn't seem to be. Well, we've, you know, and we're we're all keenly aware of what happens when there's a problem. And now also aware of how fast things can move, which I think has added another layer of complexity onto that. You know, the long arm of the great financial crisis and the trauma inflicted by that is still there. Add what happened to Silicon Valley Bank in, in less than 24 hours. And now you've got that super supercharged sort of fear factor, I think. Doug asking a really question, why knowing this, and presumably the Fed is the bank regulator, they've got to know this. Why would the Fed take March off the table? Why would they do that if there's the if there's this potential for the cracks starting to show in what has been pretty calm re regional banking situation? Well, just because the Fed is the, the domestic bank regular doesn't mean it's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> well, well there's, that's it. the answer. <laughs> Last year, the Fed had no idea what was going to happen with Silicon Valley Bank or any of its peers. In fact, they should have. There was any number of warning signs. In fact, they're very similar to what we're seeing now. I mean, you regional bank stocks were in a free fall before we ever got to Silicon Valley Bank. And it's not just bank stocks. There were any number of other warning signs. And so... I mean, if you want to be kind to the Federal Reserve and the people working there, and they're all they're all decent people doing their best, they're human. They make mistakes. They have biases. And the Fed's bias is always, we're really good at what we do, and the, the system is always good. And it's almost like because of that, the Fed comes in after something happens because there's, they stick to those biases until the very, very end. And so they don't look at market signals. They distrust markets. And they're in many ways just kind of flying blind. So it, 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 in the, the, the way that central banks work their policies, they never want to make an abrupt change. Mm -hmm. So in reality, what the Fed is doing is they're, they're moving very slowly like, they're, like they believe they're supposed to toward rate cuts because the last thing they want to do is to spook the market and say, one day we think everything's fine. And the next day we're talking about doing a series of rate cuts, maybe as soon as March, because that would raise too much negative yeah, attention. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and they're not going to say if they're watching, you know, the bank, because they know that, that that their words themselves could, you know, start to accelerate a process they don't want to see. I wanted to get your thoughts on Europe. We know things are crappy in Europe, but maybe they're just ahead of us. Maybe they're getting working through it. Is that the case or... Are there bigger things we need to be worrying about with the European economy? Well, it looks like they are, they're ahead of us, but they're not working through it. <laughs> it's the only positive about Europe is they've been, uh, they've been able to avoid using the R word because nobody wants to say recession. That's a, it's, it's a psychological problem. And so, you know, the, you look at European GDP, and I think we have a slide for that. Yeah, we, uh, we're, you know, over the last five quarters, the European economy in real terms has essentially gone nowhere. But it hasn't got, you know, we don't have the technical definition of recession where you have two straight quarters of negative GDP, which, by the way, is not a definition of recession. But there's no technical definition of recession for the public. And the worst quarter among the five has just been a half a percent annual rate, which hardly seems all that bad. And so you say the economy's not good, but it seems like it's avoiding recession. But you look at the chart below it, 
where you, you can actually plot out uh, GDP, but in euros, that's a pretty nasty contraction already. Whether they call it recession or not doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. The European economy, and this is more a matter of time than it is volume or value of GDP, five quarters, five quarters in a, is an enormous contraction. And going sideways in a nonlinear world or nonlinear environment is a contraction. Mm -hmm. So the European economy is in real serious trouble and it has been over the last year. And they've been able to get away with not admitting it because they don't have all of the usual characteristics that you would have of a recession. So what the forward-looking indicators are telling us, including the, the European bond market, which, by the way, is really synchronized with U.S. Treasuries. This is not a U.S. problem or a Europe problem. It's an everyone problem. The bond markets and forward indicators are telling us that this European quasi-recession that's already five quarters old is likely to get worse. And eventually, more of the world is going to look like Europe than it is going to look like the United States. The mm -hmm. balance continues to tip in that direction, even if it's difficult to see from all of the surface area, you know, top level statistics that we watch, certainly with the US. But at least in the European case, you can look at the GDP chart right there and say, oh yeah, yeah, I see what, I see what the market's getting at here in terms of actual economic weakness. So given that, it sounds like, it, it, it sounds like an environment where you've, you've got to be bearish equities globally if everyone's headed to Europe. Is that right? And, and if so, does that mean it's gold, hard assets, bonds that you're looking at? Yeah, duration, right? And that's, I mean, this is the age old uh, battle, the age old, comp, you know, you have economists and stocks on one side and you have the bond market on the other side. And there's always that period. Uh, we saw this in 2007, where when central banks flip from, when they actually pivot from whether it's rate hikes or pausing or stable rates where they were before to rate cuts, equities tend to take off because it sounds like this is a terrific thing. If you believe in the forecasts that are put out by central banks or mainstream economics, which are never bad. I've never seen a Federal <laughs> Reserve forecast that forecasts a recession. They don't do that. Yeah, um, true. So if you, if you follow their forecast, plus they say, you know what, we're just a little tiny concerned about our downside. So we're going to add three rate cuts into 2024. If you're an equity investor and you don't follow anything else, you think, well, this is terrific. It is the absolute best Goldilocks scenario because I've got a solid economy. Jay Powell said so. And Jay Powell's also giving me rate cuts. And so we always see these late cycle rallies in stocks until we get to the, the point where we can't hide anymore or can't hide the problems that have come up anymore. And that's when stocks really start to face reality. But where is that point? And what happens is as we continue to move in these slower cycles, like we've seen over the last year, as an equity investor, it's you know, it's extremely difficult to sit on the sidelines and say, you know, I'm giving up so much returns by being bearish here. Mm. It's a lot of people make make uh, make that judgment that, OK, even though I know I'm going to be bearish, I'm going to follow stocks and try to get some returns. And you can't it's understandable why you would. But as long as you know that you're playing with fire here, that eventually that uh, the, this type of cycle plays out in the same way every time um, it's. You know, stocks are just that kind of, they tend to be that type of, um, you know, beauty contest casino casino asset. Yeah. And um, and it's it's very hard to try to call the top, right? And and you can't, no, that's a testament you know, to that are, is that Amazon came out, uh, revenue up 14%. Remember, Amazon had announced layoffs, revenue up 14%, the stock's up 5% after hours. Apple revenue grows for the first time in a year. So far, it looks like the stock is flattened after hours, but you know, this just feeds into the worry about missing this upside 
Um, but I think the message we're all going to take away from here is watch the bond market. It's telling us something. It's telling us something that we need to pay attention to, even if the Fed wouldn't say it themselves. I think the other lesson here is patience, uh, because it's easy to just dismiss all this stuff as oh, it means nothing because we've been we've been talking about this for over a year now and nothing seems to be happening. But then that's why you look at Europe and you look at China and say, but it's not nothing is happening. It may be nothing that you're watching or nothing that you're seeing. And if you think of Europe and China as future risks for everyone else, then it starts to make sense, even if it takes place over an intermin interminably long time. Yeah. Jeff, we're always smarter when you come on. Thank you so much. You've given us a lot to think about as we head into this payroll numbers on Friday. So thank you. We appreciate it as always. My pleasure, Maggie. Uh, we've got, um, of course, full coverage of payrolls tomorrow and uh, the market action and the reaction to after hours earnings. Um, I'm also going to be on with Raul talking a little bit about personal finance, maybe maybe less personal finance and more the quest for financial freedom, which is what we're all after. We think that's really what we're talking about. So um, it's uh, roll up with your questions. It should be fun. I think it's at 2 p.m. Eastern, but check your check your times on the platform. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you then. Take care and good luck out there. Hey, everybody. Today's Real Vision Daily Briefing is sponsored by Engrave, maker of the coldest hardware wallet, Zero, and stainless steel backup graphene. Engrave brings you the highest security in a touchscreen experience to safely manage all your crypto offline. Enjoy a 10% Real Vision discount in engrave.io shop with the code Real Vision.